Without a doubt, one of the most beautiful promises to believers is found in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We find great comfort in that promise, especially at the time of death. I shared that just this Wednesday at Rod Brown's sister's funeral. It's a great, great promise. However, that promise is not addressed to everyone. In fact, Jesus told one particular audience the very opposite. In John 7:34, he said, "You shall seek me and shall not find me, for where I am, you cannot come." That's quite a contrast. To one, he says, where I am, there you may be also. And to another, where I am, you cannot come. You know, I doubt that that last verse has ever been read at a funeral. And it probably shouldn't. It's not our place to judge the eternal destiny of another. But we must never forget that not everyone will be welcomed into the presence of Christ. There are, in fact, some who cannot come into his presence. And it might shock us to find out that some who cannot come are good people and may even be religious. They may go to church and even know Christ. That's confirmed in our text for today where Jesus encounters several groups of people who cannot come. Before we look at them, let's recall the setting. Jesus is in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles six months before his crucifixion. The Jewish leaders have committed themselves to killing him, but now he's in the temple openly teaching the people. That raised a question in the mind of some, but they quickly dismissed it because they had been misinformed. In the seventh chapter of John this morning. Therefore, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? And look, he is speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. As we've noted, the religious leaders had committed themselves to killing Jesus, but the pilgrims from outside Jerusalem didn't know that. That's why they thought Jesus was crazy, that he had a demon when he asked the Jewish leaders why they were seeking to kill him. The locals, however, the people of Jerusalem, 
knew Jesus was a marked man. They knew the chief priests wanted to do away with him. They made that clear some 18 months earlier when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and then defended his action by claiming to be equal with God. But now, here was Jesus openly teaching in the temple, and the rulers weren't stopping him. That, that puzzled the people of Jerusalem. Had the rulers changed their mind about Jesus? Had they decided that he was the Christ after all? Was this why he was being allowed to teach? Well, that led some to begin to wonder if Jesus might not be the Christ. But they immediately dismissed the idea because they had been misinformed about the Christ. Wait a minute. We know where this man is from. Everyone knows he's from Nazareth in Galilee. He's the carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph. He can't be the Messiah. They said that because the rabbis taught that when the Messiah came, he would appear suddenly and mysteriously. No one would know where he'd come from. They even said three things come wholly unexpectedly. The Messiah, a godsend, and a scorpion. It was this expectation that Satan was playing on when he told Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. That's the kind of Messiah they were looking for. Not one who walked into town from Galilee. So they dismissed Jesus. They had been misinformed. Now that is certainly a frightening thought. Someone dismissing Jesus because they have been misinformed. That means we must be very careful to teach accurately the truth about him and be very clear about what he said he would do and would not do for us. We must not create false expectations that Christ never promised to meet. For example, we must not teach that Jesus will give us everything we ask for and that all our problems will go away if we'll just believe in him. You know, those who are taught such are going to be disappointed. And their disappointment will no doubt cause many of them to reject him. And obviously, if someone rejects Christ because he has been misinformed about him, he'll not be able to come into his presence. You know, perhaps the Jerusalemites would have actually concluded Jesus was the Christ if they had not been misinformed about him or if they had been diligent enough to check out what they had been taught. If they had done so, they would have discovered that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the prophecies concerning the Messiah and that what the rabbis were teaching was not from God's word. We must be very careful that we teach nothing but the truth. Truth as revealed in God's word. Because people's eternal lives are dependent upon it. 
And we must check out what we've been taught because our salvation may be in jeopardy if we've allowed things that are not true to hinder our response to Christ. Those who are misinformed and therefore reject Jesus will not be able to come into his presence. Neither will those who really don't know God. Let's read on. Jesus therefore cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. But I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. They were seeking, therefore, to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus knew what the people were saying about him. He knew they were rejecting him because on the basis of what they had been taught, they had concluded that he could not be the Christ. He therefore cried out with a loud voice, You both know me and know where I am from. You know I am Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary. You know I am from Nazareth, that's true. But you really don't know where I'm from. Nor do you know who it is that has sent me. I have not come on my own. I'm not some frustrated carpenter who decided to hit the road with some messianic claim. No, I've been sent. And the one who sent me is true. But you don't know him. I know him. I came from him. And he sent me to you. But you don't know him. They understood what he was talking about, but they didn't like it. They tried to seize him, to shut him up, but they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. How they were prevented from seizing him, we're not told. It may have been something to do with the attitude of the multitude, which we're going to look at next. But it was obvious that the Jewish leaders did not like what he had just said. And What was it he had said? He said they did not know God. They thought they did. They knew some facts about God. They were very religious people. They faithfully went to the temple. They said the right things and did the right things. They claimed to be the people of God. But they really didn't know God. They knew about God, but they didn't really know him. If they had, they would have recognized Jesus as his son. But they didn't. And that's true of many today. They know about God. They know about Jesus. They may even be faithful church members, but they don't know God. Not really. They haven't entered into a personal relationship with their creator. They haven't invited God's Son into their life. They aren't empowered by His Spirit. They don't know God. And if we don't know Him personally, someday He will say to us, I never knew you. Depart from me. You cannot come. Next, we see those who are Almost convinced. But many of the multitude believed in him. 
And they were saying, when the Christ shall come, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the multitude muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. At first glance, it appears that many who were there were professing faith in Christ, that they were accepting him as the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, the Son of God, and finding salvation through him. But is that really the case? I don't think so. They were beginning to believe in him. They were forming favorable opinions about him. They had seen him perform signs and miracles and had begun to reason that surely the Messiah wouldn't perform more signs than this man. But they still thought of him as just a man. They never came out and confessed him as the Son of God. They toyed with the possibility. They were headed in the right direction, but as far as we know, they never got there. It appears that they remain people who were almost convinced. And there are a lot of people like that today. They're moving in the right direction, but they never seem to get there. Something always stops them from taking that crucial step. They come to the right conclusions about Jesus, but they never act upon them. And that leaves them in a precarious position at best. If you are reasonably sure about Christ, take the step of faith and commit yourself to him. Only then can you be sure he's your savior and you won't have to worry about being almost Finally, we see those who wait too long. Jesus therefore said, For a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, there you cannot come. The Jews therefore said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we shall not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Jesus made it clear that he would be available for a little while longer but would soon be going back to him who sent him. After that, they would seek him, but wouldn't find him. They would want to join him, but would not be allowed to do so. Now, this confused them. Where's he going that we won't be able to find him? Is he leaving Palestine, going to the dispersion, other lands where Jews have been dispersed over the years? Is he going to the Greeks? Surely not. They missed the point entirely. Jesus was telling them he was going back to the Father. 
And if they didn't accept him as the son of God who had been sent to save them from their sins, they would not be allowed to follow him into the presence of God. Someday, he says, you'll seek me. You'll want me to save you. But it will be too late. You'll have waited too long. They didn't understand what he was talking about. But we do. We realize that if we wait too long, we will lose the opportunity to accept Jesus as Savior. If we wait too long, we won't be able to join him in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And if we wait too long, He will be our judge and not our savior. So we better accept him now while we still have the opportunity. Let's not allow misinformation to keep us from embracing him. Let's not settle for head knowledge about him. Let's get to know him intimately. Savior and friend. And let's not stop halfway there. Let's do whatever we must to express our complete faith and trust in him. And by all means, let's not wait too long. We don't want those words, you will seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, you cannot come to apply to us. Let's seek him now while he may be found. Let's be persuaded to accept his invitation to come to him now while the invitation is still open. Let's not remain almost persuaded to respond because to remain almost Persuaded is to remain 